0: I never will forget, Charlie Munford was a gentleman that worked for the city in Union Point. Dad was out one afternoon, it was a, I think a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, so he was out riding around.
1: See, I saw him come by and I didn't think he had no driver's license, I just brought him on down. And before he pulled in the finish station, I put the lights on him. And when he pulled in, I pulled up there beside him.
0: And uh, Charlie had been drinking and uh, was driving. Dad pulled him over and he told Charlie, he said, uh, Charlie, you're drunk. I'm going to lock you up.
1: And he squatted down right beside his car, like be checking the top. And I just went to right. I said, Charlie, I don't check the light. Well, were you, were you sitting in the car? I was sitting in the car then. He a mumbling or something. I said, Get in, Charlie. He told him, he
0: said, uh, You need to just go ahead and get in the back of the car. I'm going to tell you. And Dad would do that. He just said, Get in. Let's, let's go in. we am to lock you up. He started kind of mumbling and
1: talking. So I just laid my book down and jumped out of the car. And I just got out of the said, Get in that car. And boy, one day I caught him by the arm and I said, Get in that car. He filled me inside here with a rank.
0: If I want to eat a biscuit in my office, I'm going to eat a biscuit in my
1: office. You got to be fine. You got to be fair with him, you got to treat him fair. He could
0: have as many as ten kids following him.
1: Anytime time that you want sleeping, you were expected to be out patrolling. And we got to touch him, oh my goodness.
2: We're not cutting this wedding band off my finger. This is Policing Green, a policeman at the sunset of the Jim Crow South. In this episode, Chief Carlton Lewis dips his toe in the political swamp. The case of Reuben Flint continues. And the chief proves just how much of a devoted husband he really is, no matter how painful. Now, the conclusion of the story of Charlie Munford. Charlie,
0: he had a pair of long handle of pliers in his back pocket and he hit Dad across the face with him.
1: And then hit him again. About three times, and not I mean, that's a good By
0: that time, blood's running down Dad's face. The people around and businesses saw it. They started calling, and so Dad whirled pulled out his pistol.
1: And I got my gun, bringing it down to shoot him. I, I had in mind to kill him. He caught my arm, and we got tussling to over oh my guns. And uh, when it did, it fell out of my hand. Somebody and I reached down to pick it up. When he did, he come up with a knee, he caught me down in the
0: cheek. Charlie grabbed the pistol, and they started fighting over it. Dad was losing blood. They rolled across the top of the sheriff's, the uh, uh, police chief's car, and went to the ground. Charlie came up from the ground with the pistol.
1: Got my gun when he did. uh, He cocked it and put it in my face. When he did, I caught him in the dune collar. When I I had him in the collar, and he got to give me my gun. And uh, it got off me so bad. He hacked me so bad. I was so embarrassed I didn't know what to do. He had my gun, and I didn't like that. And I had him in the car, and trying to take that gun away from him and we were touching on old my gun around in the car. Finally got around on the side and he got in the car. Still had him had the gun on me in the car. And when he sat down in the car and I knew I couldn't let him drive off and leave me standing there. With my gun. I just couldn't, he just, he just made me so mad I didn't know what to do. Then I said, if I just thought, now, if I can get my hand on that shotgun on that, my car, I get it. But I was scared to turn my back on him, to walk over there and get my shotgun, scared get shoot me in the back.
2: In need of a diversion, the chief fakes like he's going to call for backup. So I try to get his attention on something. When it did, I said,
1: I called, I called somebody come down and help me. I called and try and get his, name, his mind on what I was doing. Did he say anything? No, he didn't mention and it. And I reached over there and walked into my car and I reached and got my shotgun. Boy, out water around and jerked the shield and I threw it on.
2: I said, get out of that car, no kid. He still had gun on me. Charlie raises the pistol and fires and misses. And when it did, he said, bow. And, and
1: shot and hit the door right beside him by that foot. When, he, did, when he, he come out of the car at the same time when he shot you, he knocked me back. But the chief holds his fire. And the only thing I could think that I had shot in that gun. And I'd looking him right square in the eye and someone just telling me, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, you shoot his head off. And I would, I shot his head off his shoulder. Then he fires a warning shot. And said, don't do it, don't do it, don't it, you shoot his head. when I did I raised it up just over his head. Balloon. And that scan, when it did, he jumped and come up, bow, shot at me again, he missed me, and went in the windshield. When it did, I leveled back down. I said, put that gun on my car, i kill you. I told him the second time. I said, I had this last time. I said, lay it on my car. Charlie puts the gun down. I put him in the, in my car. I got the gun, and I didn't have the handcuffs on. I really didn't leave the handcuffs. I reached in and got my handcuffs. I said, stick sticker ends out here. Let me put these handcuffs on. You know you don't put no handcuffs. I said, if you don't put your hand, I'm we'll knock
2: your teeth out. And Charlie does what he's told. Then, when I put the handcuffs on, here
1: come folks running out of the station, running around. and let me drive you to the city hall. I said, I'd dry my darn self up back.
0: By the time he got him to the jail, policemen were coming in from everywhere because they put out all points bulletin. And as he's putting him in the jail, they had to put Dad and take him to the hospital because he had lost a lot of blood.
1: And the sheriff said, come on, Carl, let me take you to the hospital. I I don't want to go to no hospital. get in this car, I'm going to take you to the hospital. I said, oh, my head all right. He said, I said, get in this car.
0: <laughs> well, at the court case... The judge said, Chief, you had the shotgun. Why didn't you do something?
1: That's what the jury asked me. That's what the DA asked me. All of them asked me. Why didn't how come kill you, didn't him? Kill him? you didn't kill him? Why didn't you kill him? And he said, you crazy with not killing him?" And how come he didn't kill you? He yeah, how, he, he just missed <laughs> But now how come he didn't shoot me? This? Yeah. I don't know. And Dad said, you
0: know, I don't know if it was God. I don't know what it was.
1: The Lord just told me to not to do it. Just don't do it, don't do it. I just did it. And that's the only reason I didn't like that much as blowing his head off there. I don't know why I didn't. Okay. But just something just tell me now and I just raised the gun up. Look.
0: And I think that goes to the core of uh, really who he was. He had several opportunities to do that, but he never, ever killed anybody.
2: When we were researching this podcast, Tom gave me a quick tour of Greene County and Union Point. We had the chance to meet the town mayor, Lanier Rhodes, his wife, Jill, and the publisher of the Greensboro Herald-Journal, Carrie Williams. Here they are talking about Union Point back then.
0: Growing up in Greene County was certainly a happy life. It was a good life, a small-town life. We are
1: still probably about the same population today as we were back then, which
0: is around 1,700 residents inside the incorporated limits of Union Point. We were a county that was 50% white, 50% black. And we didn't have many racial problems back then.
3: Union Point was really striving. They had a sock mill and employed around a 1,000 people.
0: We had a very productive, active business in every
1: building. You could really get anything you needed to, to make it. a living.
0: There's a little business on the street, Miss Maddie Carruthers.
1: Carruthers Department Store. Mm-hmm.
3: You could go in there, you could find anything. I don't care what it was, anything, and Miss Maddie knew where it was.
0: At one time, we had five doctors, three or four mom, papa grocery stores.
3: Well, it was uh, a lot of moonshine back then.
2: Now, let's take a walk through the town with the chief.
0: When dad was chief of police in Union Point, he used to go on long walks. And he would walk around in the community. He would walk about seven or eight miles a day. And by the time that he got to halfway in his walk, he could have as many as 10 kids following him, walking with him, because he always carried bubble gum and peppermint candies, and he would hand them out. And they would walk with him, you know, hi, chief, what you doing? And I didn't, I didn't, I knew that would happen. And he would walk home for lunch, he would walk, he'd all, he he had to be a walking routine just to keep himself in shape. And he, he knew it was good for him. So he would do things like that all the time, all the time. And they all loved him. And I think it showed another side of him that you didn't see. Here you got one guy that would take on anybody, being shot at, arresting the husband, or, or dealing with uh, convicts. But at the same time, in the afternoon, he might be walking through town with seven or eight, nine and 10-year-olds walking with him, you know? The much current mayor of Union Point had a daughter that grew up and played a lot of basketball. And they tell the story that he would be walking home and she'd be out there playing basketball, and he would stop and sit on the uh, a bench there and watch her and talk to her and give her a piece of candy or something, and then walk on home. But he was just that kind of a people person.
4: Team Blue Line is a national non-profit organization that exists to help the families of fallen law enforcement officers and officers who have been injured, both physically and mentally, in the line of duty.
2: In the preface of the book Policing Green, Hal poses a question. Was Chief Lewis another Bull Connor in the making?
5: Theophilus Eugene Connor was Commissioner of Public Safety in Birmingham, Alabama for many, many years. He's better known to the world as Bull Connor as a result of his relentless pursuit of maintaining segregation in his hometown. He was infamous for using dogs and fire hoses to put down demonstrations, even applying them to children. His viciousness actually contributed to the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. You got to be fine with him. You got to
1: be fair with him, you got to treat him fair. And, but when he committed a crime, he know he got to be punished. He know that. And hey, go ahead, and I, I've i talked that to on, on my chairs. Put a man in jail when he committed a crime. He got to go to jail, regardless. Then if you want to help him, you can do what you can, and we try to get him in jail, then I want to get him out. And then I, if he ain't done nothing bad, I'd go to court and I, I I testify that he just got wired for the day or something like that. Or, and i do my best trying to help him. That's really, That's what they like. Mm-hmm. But when they committed a crime, they know they got to be punished. They might hush you out at the time when they pull a lick or something, but they appreciate it in the long run. All right, when they need a policeman, they call a good policeman. If they don't, if they want to argue, oh, or will get by with something, they call the others. And that's the reason you've got to treat them. You can't tell them you have to lead them. You, you, you lead them, you don't drive them. And yet, let them know they've got to do what's right. And they appreciate it. They, they appreciate that.
2: Returning now to the story of Reuben Flint, here's how.
5: The book begins with the Reuben Flint murder. It was a terrible and tragic story of a botched attempt at extortion that turned into a brutal murder and a second try at the extortion plan.
2: And the perpetrator Derwin Young is now in custody after taking Reuben's wallet to the bank, demanding ransom and threatening to kill him. But nobody else there knows Reuben is already dead.
1: John told me the president, he said, Connor, they got Ruben. He's a vice Said said, they got him, had his bill for, and they demand to send sixty thousand dollars or he's gonna be dead in fifteen minutes. I said, Well,
2: why uh, where is it? Then the chief spots a clue on the perpetrator's foot. Dad
0: noticed that there was a little blood on the on his shoes, and when he saw that, he told the other policemen he'd lock him up, and he went flying out to driving very fast alarm and everything out to Reuben's house and when he got there, it was a policeman and another person at the at the driveway actually it was a minister who had heard about it they stayed there he went past them and went up the driveway maybe 300 feet long
1: i drove on up there uh, i jumped out of my car at my shotgun and i opened the door i could tell there's a fight went on in the, in the kitchen And he saw Reuben
0: on the floor and he had been uh, it was pretty bad. And so uh, Dad went back to the bank, and immediately at that point, he put out a call to, of course, the GBI, all the authorities, and everybody started converging on uh, Union Point. And while Dad was arresting the guy coming out of the bank, the other one was at the top of the hill with the car that was going to come down and, and get his partner
1: and the money. I didn't know this other was at the bank. I thought he'd be out in the, in the, in the house. So I went running from room to room looking for Found And later, he was sitting out there looking at all,
2: us, all this take place. I didn't get away, car.
0: And uh, when he saw Dad arrested
2: him, he took off. That would be Charlie Young, Derwin's uncle. Now, here's Georgia Highway Patrol Officer Johnny Grimes.
5: Well, we got a call that afternoon. I think it's around lunchtime. Got a call that had been an incident in Green County involving a...
2: Homicide. They had initiated a
5: manhunt.
0: It was on all the TV stations. It hit national news. We went back and got this man out of the cell and went to question him. The other accomplished had relatives acquaintances in Greensboro.
1: And he said something about a grandmother that he knew in Greensboro. I said, "All right, we better check with her." So we called the Greensboro and told him go out to this house, check and if there's anybody out there holding to read it.
0: And they arrested him there. I was out of school. I uh, got a call and of course a lot of people started calling me and so friends were calling me and because Reuben was so well respected and so thought of. The
5: perks were simply bumbling amateurs and Charlie Young who committed the beating and shooting murder of Reuben Flint was convicted and sentenced to death. Young's death sentence however was later overturned by a federal appeals court on the basis of inadequate representation at his trial and he was released on parole in 2003. Can imagine how that affected the people of Union Point.
2: These days, a patrol officer's shift might start at 6:30 in the morning or evening, and then end at 6:30 12 hours later. Back then, though, 12 hours would have been a short day. Here's Johnny Grimes. We
1: caught every call, just about.
2: Very tedious. It was
1: long and tiring days, long hours. You know, after a couple of weeks of that, it just it, it really gets old. Any time that you weren't sleeping, you were expected to be out patrolling. If you slept eight hours, the rest of the time you should be spent patrolling. And not only that, within that uh, eight-hour sleep period, you're catching call. If a call comes up and they don't have anybody to catch it, you got to roll out and catch that call.
2: Pick up the book Policing Green on Amazon. That's green with an E at the end. Like the chief says, when he encountered a lawbreaker, he took them to jail. But Tom tells us of one of those times when his dad acted out of compassion. He arrested a guy
0: one time that was a well-respected guy in the community. He had been drinking. And so dad, uh, the, well, the police, one of his policemen arrested him and brought him in. And they said, we're going to book him. And dad said, I tell you what we're going to do, just turn him over to me. And they said, okay. Dad took him back to the cell. And he said, please don't tell anybody. Please don't. I don't want anybody to know. You know, I might lose my family. And so Dad went to his office and he called his pastor. He said, I want you to come down to the jail. You need to talk to somebody. And he went down there and he talked to him. And the guy never made another problem. He didn't tell his wife. He didn't tell his kids. He just Talk to him and the pastor, and when that guy's pastor walked in, that brought him down to earth real quick. Dad was known for little things like that, and he would always try to handle situations a little differently, you know.
2: Now we go back to Carlton Lewis's days as a Greene County deputy to meet his boss, a man that some say inspired the movie Walking Tall.
0: The sheriff at that time was a guy named L.L. White, and he was known all over the country. He was the longest-serving sheriff in the state of Georgia,
5: and he was one of the longest-serving sheriffs in the nation. White was elected sheriff of Greene County in 1940. He stayed in that office until he died in 1977. The longest serving sheriff at that time in Georgia history.
1: Everybody in the state of Georgia knew Sheriff White. He was a policeman for 53 years.
3: He was just something else. I got his picture on the wall over yeah, there, L.L. White, sheriff. White was the last sheriff in Georgia on the fee system. He got a third area fine. And he'd go before the judge and say, Oh, he's a good old boy. And just fine him and he got a third of that, and when he died, they had a million and a half cash. He came here as a revenue agent. Yeah, that's he? right. So moonshine was big, and that's, and it was during the Depression, and moonshine was strong in this county.
5: The illegal production of whiskey by moonshiners in Greene County had been perhaps the county's leading industry for decades. When L.L. White became a deputy sheriff in Greene County in 1925, It was his primary mission to eradicate those stills throughout the county and to put the moonshiners in jail. He was a fearless man, very religious man, who believed that God had sent him there to stamp out this evil.
3: What made Shearer White famous? He killed nine men while he
5: was here. Whenever he would come upon a moonshiner and his still, of course, the still would be destroyed, the moonshiner arrested, and imprisoned. If a moonshiner resisted, L.L. White inevitably shot it out with him, and he killed half a dozen such men, all of whom had fired at him first.
0: Dad and he were friends and he thought dad would be a good uh, deputy and he should come in and learn so dad did that
3: carlton was one of his main men that worked for him hard and was well respected all over the county
1: and i can hear sherry while now call me up you know talk so easy Carlton. go down to white plane they having a hot supper down there one man done got cut all the pieces in there check on them see what,
5: what's wrong. At the time Carlton went to work for Sheriff Wyatt, the sheriff was becoming more and more involved in local politics and less and less involved with the day-to-day duties of a sheriff. As a result of that, Carlton Lewis soon became his chief deputy and essentially the acting sheriff of the county.
2: When Sheriff Wyatt died, Carlton thought about running to replace him. In his heart, he wanted the job. But his head won out, and he wrote a letter to the people of Greene County.
4: I, Carlton Lewis, along with all other Greene Countyans, was greatly saddened when I learned of the death of our Sheriff, L.L. Wyatt. Sheriff Wyatt had served as a distinguished police officer in our county for 52 years. During this time, he gained the admiration and respect of all those who knew him, and I was grateful for the opportunity I had in working directly under Sheriff Wyatt as a Greene County police officer for eight years. I believe that the sheriff's office is one that should be filled by an individual who not only knows and understands the responsibilities of this office, but who also is willing to do his very best to see that the citizens of Greene County get the best police protection that is possible. Anything less than this would be depriving the citizens of our county from something that they deserve and have paid for with their tax dollars. Since Sheriff Wyatt's death, I have been contacted by many Greene County citizens, white and black, who have encouraged me to run for the office. I must admit that this has made me very humble and at the same time very honored to know that so many people in Greene County have placed that kind of trust and faith in me as to consider me for such an important position. However, in considering running for sheriff, I must at the same time consider the advice of my family and doctors. Several months ago, I was advised by my doctors that I suffered from a slight heart condition. I have been advised by my doctors that the additional stress and strain which could at times develop with the office of the sheriff would certainly not help my condition and because of this it is the wish of my family that I not run for sheriff. I too must admit that this might keep me from giving the office the kind of leadership I believe the county deserves. Therefore, I am not nor will I be a candidate for the office of sheriff of Greene County. As always, it is my intention to assist the newly elected sheriff in every way that I can. I again would like to say that words can never express what it has meant to me to have so many people put their confidence and trust in me. Sincerely, Carlton Lewis.
2: But just because Carlton didn't want to run for office himself doesn't mean he stayed out of the swamp.
0: Dad loved politics. He he, he he liked politics. He liked me being in politics. Uh, I worked for several campaigns. I worked in D.C. and worked for a Senate race and you know, several government races. And he would always get somewhat involved involved in those. I, I kind of gravitated toward it and was running several statewide campaigns. And Dad, he always supported whoever I supported. And he always would, would get out there, and it was no secret. He, he was known to, to get involved and... And so one time I was working for this candidate in Georgia, and somebody called me and said, there's a guy, somebody's taking down his signs, Tom, in Greene County and in Tolliver County and some of the others. So I called Dad. I said, Dad, I'm getting word that people are taking down the signs of my man. It was Burt Lance. He was running for governor of the state of Georgia. and uh, And I said... Dad, you think you can find out? He said, give me a little bit of time. Calls me back the next day. He said, ain't going to take down your signs no more. I said, what happened? He said, well, I kind of asked a lot of people around. I found out who was taking the signs down, and they're not going to take the signs. I said, what did you do? He said, son, it's very simple. I explained it to them where they understood and that's all you got to do. Is just explain it where they understand. Now I, I don't know if he told me he was, was going to arrest. I don't know what he told him. But the signs didn't go down. I'll tell you that. In the in the mayor's race, you know, they used to call it the biscuit controversy. One day, uh, the current mayor that came into city hall, and Dad was in his office eating a biscuit, and he questioned why he was eating the biscuit. And, of course, Dad had a short fuse anyway, and it kind of set him off. And he told him, he said, let me tell you something. I will run the police department. I will do all of these things to, to keep the safety in the community. And you don't need to tell me how to run the police department. And if I want to eat a biscuit in my office, I'm going to eat a biscuit in my office. And you be mayor, I'll be the chief. And so it worked it out. Well, the next election, the guy got beat for mayor. And elected somebody else, and a lot of people said Dad got involved in that. Knowing Dad the way I know knew him, he probably did a little bit.
2: Now let's hear Tom and the Chief retell the story back then. Why Carleton supported Ben Stewart over the incumbent Scotty Scott?
1: Well, Scotty he was elected mayor and gave me pizza of way out turned him. What kind of you're well, you Well, you know, nagging me calling you do this, calling, what about doing this? And I said, Now when y'all hire me down, you hire me to be in charge of the police force. That's my job. I said, Y'all don't know how to police. And I said, Now, if I ain't done a good job, I told them that one night. I said, Now if I ain't done a good job, find me. I said, Don't mess with the police force. I'm in head I'm the head of it. But yet I'm they the pay chief.
0: But they, they pay you
1: more than they pay the sheriff now, right? <laughs> and I said, I'm the chief. I said, I'm responsible for everything. That I your job is to uh, uh, make laws and I obey them. See and see they are carried out. And, and they decide they want to knitted, nitpick it, pick you know. Just like one time, oh, I was supposed to eat or something like that. You know, get me a <laughs> yeah. That's when I, was a boy, sausage and biscuits. They yeah. got on. They got on turn and the
0: Sausage I,
1: and biscuit. And I told What'd them you. what you tell Scotty?
0: You were going to
1: eat that sausage I told him, I am going to eat a sausage and biscuit. Because Scotty is mayor's job, a sausage and biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> so daddy couldn't eat a sausage and biscuit anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I got the him. And he told me, <laughs> one of the mayor told me, he said, when that car I want you to go to school and I'll do sausage. So. I said, listen, let me tell y'all, I said, y'all get nickpicking to him. Think you can just do it like you want to. I said, I'm carrying out the law. I said, if I ain't doing it right, fire me. Nobody won't do that. See, they just won't be nick picking. I told Ben, I said, you run from the mayor, we'll get it. Coach, I you know, in a small town, you got to be very, very particular, you know that. <laughs> On politics. So, I couldn't go out and talk about Scott enough. But I could do this. I could go to all the business places and everybody around town. And I said, you know, that Ben still, he's a small fellow. I'm telling you true. He He's really got lots of businesses. He'll make a good mayor. I, I said, I know he ain't friendly, but who care about that? We want to elect him as a good mayor to improve the town. I said, of course. I wouldn't say anything about the one you got, it, but this man here, I'm going to see how come you can make up with it. And just, you, you get talking to him. How He's did around. you, uh, I know. then when he got beat, he said, Scotty come to me and said, Colin, he said, what happened? I said, well, he said, "ever more organized more planned professional work went on here
2: i've seen in my life You might say Carlton Lewis dedicated most of his life to the law. Now, the chief shows the extent of his dedication to his wife, Eleanor. Let me warn you, he suffers only a minor injury here, but the description does get a bit graphic. If you're squeamish, skip the next two minutes and 45 seconds.
0: Dad, uh, like I was saying, he was always doing crazy things. I never forget, I, I got a call one day from my mother, and she says, Well, your dad did something else kind of crazy. And I said, What was that? She said, Well, He was walking. He liked to walk every day. So he was walking back from lunch at home, and he got to the railroad tracks, which separated where he was going to the city hall where the police station was, and the train was across the tracks. So he decided that when he was a kid, he used to jump up on the train and climb up on top of them. And he said instead of stepping through the train between the cars, he would climb up over the train so he got on a rail car and started climbing on a box car up the ladder across the top 60 some odd year old policeman you know chief please, police chief doing climbs up the ladder over the top because he remembered how it was he's coming down on the other side well as he's coming down on the other side he slips and his finger gets caught I mean his ring gets pressure on it and it cuts into his finger into the skin, cuts a gash out of his finger where part of the skin is like a flap, the wedding band cutting into his ring finger. Well, he gets down and he sees what he's doing. His hand's bleeding, so he says, well, i got to go by the doctor's office. So he goes by our local doctor at the time with Billy Rhodes, somebody everybody loves. He goes in to see him, and Billy says, you know, Chief, what's, what's the problem? He said, well, I cut my finger on a rail car. and So he says, okay, well, we're going to have to cut that wedding band off. And Dad says, you're not cutting a wedding band. He said you don't understand. I've got to get the skin that's over the top of the band, under the band, so I can sew it back on. He says, you don't understand that little red-headed lady I'm, I've been married to for so many years. We, we're not cutting this wedding band off my finger. Billy says, well, we got to do it. And he says, nope. He says, well, I'm worried about infection and everything. He said, I'll tell you what, let me see. So Billy pushed, the Dr. Rose took the wedding band, pushed it as far as he could until he could work the flap back under the band a little bit and stitched it the best he could and sewed it up. And he said, in that band, your finger's going to swell. Now, if it swells, we're going to have to cut the wedding band off. And and, and Dr. Roach used to tell me that if his finger finger had swollen, I think what he had said, because he was so afraid of your mother, which was funny because she was just a little old country school teacher. He said he had cut my finger. I'd have had to cut his finger off before I cut the wedding band, but. He never cut the wedding band and didn't have to cut the finger. But he, he sewed it up under the wedding band. How they did that I don't I'll never know.
2: <laughs> On the next policing green.
1: I jumped off that car running in, grabbed him in the car. I
0: stood up as Dad walked into the cell and I said, Dad I can explain this. By
1: the time I heard a gun, bow! Why, standing right behind me, done shot. Guy stood up, and he looked enormous. He hit the ground. <laughs> he shook his head. You down. hit me. I said, I'm going to whoop your butt. You don't want to get up, man.
2: Come on. Team Blue Line is a nationwide nonprofit that helps the families of law enforcement officers who have selflessly given their lives and officers who have been injured mentally or physically in the line of duty. Like Tom says, we never will forget. Visit teamblueline.org.
5: Hi, my name's Ashley Reynolds. Um, My husband, Jamie, passed away July 31st of this year. Um, Team Blue One has been amazing from the get-go, and I want to say thank you to everyone that donates. Everything that you donate goes to a great cause and helps all of us. Thank you.